another episode of Generic Conversations. I am your host, Jen Amos, and I thought I'd take a minute to say, how's it going? How are you holding up? I've mentioned this in the last couple of episodes, and it still blows my mind that social distancing, being at home, all that jazz is still the new normal. That is where we're at right now. And it does seem like some things are opening up here and there. But in the meantime, this is our current reality. And so I just want to check in and say, how are you doing? Visit my website, genericpodcast.com. Remember, generic is with a J as in Jen. And you can find my social media links on there. Would love to connect with you and just check in with you. In addition to that, I also want to share a free mental health resource for anyone that needs it. In the recent weeks, I have definitely been leaning against community, you know, checking in with my loved ones, checking in with all my friends and family, and just being proactive in staying in touch with them and seeing how they're doing. But sometimes, as much as you open up to your family, you need some extra help, and that's absolutely okay. I think it's okay to set healthy boundaries with your friends and family and not expect them to be your unpaid therapist. So I want to take this opportunity to share a free resource with you that I have personally used for almost a year now, which is called Seven Cups. Seven Cups is a safe space for anyone to speak with caring, trained listeners for free emotional support. Here's a little background on Seven Cups. We live in a world where you could be surrounded by people. I mean, obviously in these times, you can just feel more isolated than ever, if anything, and feel lonely with nobody to turn to when things get rough. But being heard is an important part of being human. So psychologist Glenn Moriarty saw that there was a great power in just listening, but he knew that not everyone had someone to talk to or even want to burden their loved ones or their friends for all the things that they want to vent about. So he started to wonder, how can I make being heard a reality for everyone? So that's where Seven Cups comes in. And I, like I said, I absolutely love this resource. I'll give you a couple examples of how I use it. I speak with essentially strangers on this safe platform to talk about anything around my relationships, my health habits, and my professional goals. And I love that I can talk to as many listeners as I would like. Sometimes you just need that extra help. And that's been me uh, lately. I have really enjoyed just talking to, you know, strangers that maybe in the real world, I would just, you know, meet at a bench at a park and just share my life story, you know? So if you are looking for that kind of support right now, please check out Seven Cups. You can check out the show notes of this episode or visit my website, genericpodcast.com. Remember, it's free. And it's anonymous. That's one more thing I forgot to add. And so it's really just a safe space for you to share whatever you want. And I think in a time and space like today, we all need a little extra help. We all need that extra support. We all need someone to listen to us. So I hope you find that helpful. All right, moving on. So I just have one thing, one announcement to share today. I know I really dove in deep with that mental health resource, Seven Cups. But uh, before I get into this awesome interview that I have with Catherine Chan, I want to share that I have some great news. I am starting to test out my new coaching method for my mastermind group that I've been talking about during this season. 
And a lot of it has been inspired by the interviews that I've done and even in my own professional life working with my husband and my colleagues. So listen up. If you are starting a new project or a business and you're overwhelmed with how to get started or you're struggling to keep up in an environment that just feels like it's constantly changing, then do I have a strategy for you. I'm currently seeking out five to 10 brave and overwhelmed souls who are looking to get organized with or reorganize their priorities. Because this is new and that I'm testing this out, I am offering it for free for a limited time. You'll get a free 30 minute consultation and you can sign up for that today by visiting the show notes of this episode or visiting genericpodcast.com. So once again, it's limited, it's free, and hey, if anything, you'll walk away feeling a little bit more organized in this chaotic life that we are currently living in. All right, that's the only announcement I have to share today. Really excited to get into this conversation with Catherine Chan. Let me tell you, this conversation will have you thinking about how becoming a mother sparked her interest in writing again, how to navigate a relationship with your parents that's like oil and water, and why, how, or if you should continue to work on your relationship with your parents. All right, thank you so much for listening to my announcements. Now, please enjoy this interview with Catherine Chan. All right. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Generic Conversations, where I'm very fortunate to have candid conversations with amazing individuals that'll have you say, I needed this. I'm Jen Amos, your show host, and I'm grateful to have you join us for today. So for today's conversation, we are fortunate to have it with Catherine Chan. Catherine Chan is an Asian Canadian, wife, mother of two, and author of the book, How to Deal with Asian Parents. Catherine shares her authentic stories and relationship building tips for how she improved her relationship with her parents to empower students to do the same. She understands the struggles of connecting with Asian parents and wants to inspire others to talk about these issues despite growing up in a culture that hid them. Catherine, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much, Jen. I love being here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'm so glad that you reached out. I believe we had met each other or found each other in the Asian American Podcasters Facebook group. And I'm just curious to know how you found the group as an Asian Canadian. <laughs> as a Canadian, right? Like, I don't, I don't actually, see, the thing is, I think there's a, quite a few Canadians there too, like Asian Canadians that are in that group. So I don't think there's one for Canadians. So I just kind of like Facebook searched Asian stuff, I guess, yeah, just finding yeah. groups I could kind of connect with and resonate with. And I was doing a podcast at a time. Basically, my podcast when I started was really just me reading my blog post. This was like years, mm. a couple of years ago. Mm. And so I was like, well, I got to connect with other podcasters and kind of see what they're doing. And then just discovered the group. Like, how did you find the group? <laughs> I found it through my really good friend, June Han. And oh, uh, yes. yeah, everyone loves him. I feel like anyone that <laughs> I know that knows him just loves him. Yeah. And I, I had originally met him. I'm living in Virginia right now in the East Coast of America, but I had met him in the West Coast in California when I lived in San Diego. And I just remember, I just love his vibe. And I, I think I saw him again at... Oh, man, which one? It was either PodFest or She Podcast. It was one of those conferences, one of those podcast conferences. But he was there and he was promoting the Asian American Podcasters Facebook group. So yeah. I took it as an opportunity to join the group. So that's how I heard about it. 
Oh, that's really cool. <laughs> yeah. Be from yeah. the West to the East, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's cool. I Yeah. And I think both of the conferences that I went to were both in the East Coast. So I was surprised when I saw him. I was like, what do you, I mean, obviously he travels, but I was just like, oh, like of all the places, you know, and, and I didn't know you were in podcasting too, you know, so, yeah. so shout out to June and to the Asian American podcasters Facebook group, yeah. because if it wasn't for them, we wouldn't be having this conversation today. No. Absolutely. And also for you reaching out to the group and just asking, like, I'd love to hear, I love the way you wrote it too. You're just like, I just want to hear people's stories. And like, yeah. and I'm like, that's, I love, I love telling stories. I got that from my dad. So. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> it's just nice to know that my message resonates with a lot of people and a lot of people have stories to share. A lot of people have life lessons to share. And yeah. it's just, and I think that's what I want the show to be about is, is showing that although we all may look different or live in different places, we have a lot more in common than we realize. And so I'm just really glad that I've had already a variety of people from around the world, you know, be a part of this group. And I feel like a lot of my interviews though have definitely been people from Canada. So shout out to Canada. <laughs> See? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for participating. Um, well, Catherine, for people that are getting to know you for the first time, you definitely sound like a mover and shaker, by the way. But for people that are getting to know you, why don't you just share a quick snapshot of your life today, particularly what keeps you busy or excited uh, for life nowadays? Um, as you said, I'm a mom of two. So I've got a six-month-old and a four-year-old. So a four-year-old wow. daughter and a six-month-old son. And it's busy, like it's like super chaotic. So I'm on, in Canada, we do get maternity leave more than awesome. a couple of weeks, I think. There you go. Yeah. So in America, I think in America, it's, let's see, I remember my former supervisor, she was gone for about three months. So what's it like for you guys in Canada? Is it about the same? Uh, I, well, I almost don't want to say, but we do get a choice between a year or 18 months. Oh my goodness. So like, yeah, so I chose to do the 18 months. Wow. I'm off for, <laughs> wow. I know, I remember writing a post on Scary Mommy and that was one of the comments, like a lot of the American moms are just pissed off at me saying like, <laughs> you get like a year, like what the hell? I'm like, yeah, oh, I, I heard too, <laughs> I heard in Europe, they give you like almost the same length as well. Like it's a lot longer. So I don't know what it is about, America, but I guess I feel fortunate that one, I'm not a parent yet. And two, even if I was, I work from home. So I think yeah. I wouldn't be as upset. But then again, I know that for a lot of parents that do work from home or at work from home moms, like I do know that setting the boundaries <laughs> with your kids is oh, yeah. like, really <laughs> difficult. And I imagine now because of at yeah, the time of this recording, like social distancing and kids having to be at home and parents having to teach their kids, yeah. like I can only imagine how stressful that is. I'm oh, curious yeah. <laughs> if in Canada, is it the same way? Because I know with us, all the parents are being required to teach their kids. Is it the same thing up there? Yeah, like, so fortunately, my kids aren't in school yet. That's right. So, that's right. Yeah, they're so pretty young. So lucky you, Catherine. <laughs> like, my, like, my sister and my sister-in-law, both their kids are a lot older. Mm. And they've had to do everything over Zoom. Like, my sister-in-law just recently told me, I'm so sick of Zoom. <laughs> like, like, their piano yeah. lessons are in Zoom. Like, my other sisters do their Chinese school on Zoom. And, like, wow. everything is just, like, and the parents have to take on a lot in addition to their regular day job. Yeah. Um, so I feel for them, but... I'm in a fortunate situation that I don't have to be in. Yeah, I feel like right now your job is to keep your kids alive until they have a conscience. <laughs> yeah, basically, basically. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, like just keeping them out of like, you know, 
putting their fingers in wrong places. <laughs> that's, a, that's a hard job because you got to keep your eyes open. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And, you know, being able to juggle with your husband to, you know, make time to have interviews like this. I know offline we were talking about how your husband is, you know, kind of watching the door and telling your kids, don't come in here. Don't talk to mom. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like I, I can, I don't think you can hear it, but like I can hear the pitter patter of, of her feet just like running around. I don't exactly know what she's doing, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's busy. So yeah, I became a mom and I mean, I wasn't doing this blogging, writing books and all this stuff before I became mm. a mom actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I became a mom, like I was just so chaotic. Like my brain was all over the place. It was like a spiritual, emotional, mental transformation that I had. Like mm. I felt like I had no independence. <laughs> well, I just like, I was, at, so then I started writing and it's been mm. something that I've been doing since I was a little kid. Like I wrote an entire book series about a girl named Leona when I was like, when I was six years old, I actually created an entire book series called Leona. Wow. Yeah. This little girl who just always broke the rules. <laughs> Love it. Like every chapter was like a different rule that she broke. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> and so, yeah, so I went back to writing and that's kind of where I've been. <laughs> just writing and trying to get myself out there. I love that. I write for just very personal reasons. I've had a journal yeah. since I was 10 years old. And I mean, it changed throughout the years. Like I, once I heard about blogging, I had a private blog. And then, and then when Facebook Live came out, I started to do like private vlogs, basic video blogs, where I just yeah. like kind of talk to myself. And, and I have found that writing is so therapeutic. And, you know, for me, I think about my upbringing and we can start to talk about your book about this actually. But in my upbringing, it was really difficult for me to kind of speak up to my family because mm-hmm. when I would, when I would say certain things, I would get a couple of responses. One, I would be minimized. Two, I would just kind of just straight up be ignored. Mm, yeah. <laughs> I think those are the two biggest things. It's kind of like, no one cares. And what did you say? <laughs> it's yeah, kinda, you're just a kid. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean. <laughs> yeah. It was just kind of my upbringing. And I know that my family... I mean, I don't know if they had good intentions for doing that, but you know, for me, the point is that I found writing to be that one space for me where no one could interrupt me, no one could tell me I was wrong, and I just felt like you know my pen and paper was really a space to just be me. And so I think it's awesome that you know you've been a writer, and now you're using writing, at least with your book here, to help other people, particularly people of Asian descent dealing with Asian parents. <laughs> so oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So let's go ahead and jump into that, Catherine. Oh, yeah, let's go ahead sure. and shift gears now and talk about this awesome book that you have. And, you know, as a fellow Asian person, Asian descent, I'm excited to delve into this conversation. So why don't you talk a little bit about your book, How to Deal with Asian Parents, just a little synopsis. And then the follow-up I would say is like, what compelled you to write this book? So I'll answer the, la- the second question first. Really, it was my dad that compelled me to, as in my relationship with him has been like oil and water ever since I was born, wow. <laughs> I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm the youngest of three daughters. And so wow. my dad being like a traditional Chinese dude, I guess, man, really wanted a son to carry on the last name. And when I came wow. out, because back in the day, you can't check the gender, you know? <laughs> So, yeah, so yeah. I came out and I didn't have a penis. Oh no. Oh. So, it's so, like third then, try, <laughs> third try. It's like, oh, damn it. <laughs> it's like kind of paints paint the picture of how my dad is. But yeah. I mean, obviously, raising three girls, he's been exposed, influenced by a lot of 
I guess, our opinions and our voices, because my mom is very much more free spirited and less, Mm -hmm. they're kind of like opposite in their own ways. Mm -hmm. My mom's kind of like a hidden feminist, I call her. Like she doesn't quite exactly know what a feminist is, but she's demonstrated different things that show she is. So yeah, so my dad and I are like oil and water and my book basically goes through kind of my own journey of how I've started and am continually working on my relationship with him. Mm. And it's divided into kind of five steps that are easy to kind of remember because they're part of like questions. So it starts with why, like, because we have to understand why we want a, a better relationship with our parents. Because right. if, if we don't know why, then it's kind of like, well, because there's a lot of people might, who might be out there and be like, well, I don't even want to deal with them. I don't think I have a problem. Yeah, I hear you. <laughs> so hear you. like that, and that's fine. But like really, because once you understand your why, then you can kind of have something to work towards and what you're trying to get out of it once you start that journey of improving their relationship. Mm-hmm. And then it goes into like, what is it that you actually have in common? Because if you think about our parents, like a lot of times people think that our parents are, you know, these older people that don't really have anything in common with us, but they're right. the ones who raised us. And there's probably a lot of things that you can actually talk to them about that we haven't really discovered. So it goes on to kind of the what and then the how to actually have a decent civilized conversation. And then it goes into the step four, which is when and when is it time that we need to accept them for who they are. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then lastly, it's the who, which is loving yourself and who mm. you are and who you want to be given the background that you have and the relationship that you have and embracing your roots and continuing on that journey and going through the steps over and over again. And even when you have, even if you've finished the book or even if you've gone through like an entire cycle. Mm -hmm. You know, all those questions, Catherine, get me to think about my own relationship with my mom. So a little background on us. I had lost my dad when I was 10 and I wasn't the oldest, but I was the eldest daughter. And I feel like my mom had put a lot of expectations on me or I was kind of her scapegoat when things went wrong. Like, let's say, for example, my sister would accidentally stub her toe. My mom would be like, Jen, what did you do to her? And I'm like, I was not even, I was not even in the room. (laughs) Like, what (laughs) what is going on here? And I do like the questions that you pose because just like what you said, there was a point in our relationship where I just felt like it was so toxic. I had to leave. It was interesting because like I was the last of the siblings as I was a middle child, but my sister was the first to move out when she was 18. And my brother, he moved out, I think a little, like a couple years after she did. And so I stayed at home. I think I was like 24, 25 at the time. I'm 32 today. But I remember I was staying at home because I had a home-based business. I was like, I don't need to go anywhere. But I realized how toxic it was for me to stay at home. And so I ended up leaving. And The reason why I did that, because that question makes me think about like that situation. I was like, why did I leave? Why did I, you know, kind of force my mom to be an empty nester so quickly? I mean, you know, at least to Asian families, like 25 is still like, if I'm not married, it doesn't make sense to move out of the house, you know? Oh, totally. Yeah. You know, yeah, there's that. (laughs) It's like, what are you doing? Why are you living out on your own? You're not married yet. But anyway, I was just thinking about why I moved out. And I remember so specifically why, like I was almost at the brink of saying that. I hated my mom. 
it's a long story of like our yep. journey. And I don't like to make my mom out to be a villain because she was a widow of three kids under 11 when yep. we lost my dad. She had to figure out a lot of things on her own. And fortunately, we did have relatives to help her, but it was still a very uphill battle for her. Mm-hmm. And fortunately, we have a very healthy relationship today. She messages us literally every day, like when she goes for a walk and she takes pictures of like her walk and when she sees wow. birds and stuff like that. So we have a really, we have a really good relationship today. But I thought like the reason why I moved out is because I didn't want to get to that point where I hated her and that I didn't want to be estranged to my mom because I was already estranged to a lot of my relatives at that point. And I was like, this is my mom. This is my my only parent left. And so I need to create space for myself so that I can see things a little more clearly and then be able to eventually accept her. Because I think when you're in the thick of it, I just think about all the things that I wish my mom could have been, you know, Mm -hmm. but now we're in a place where, you know, my siblings and I are doing fairly well. We're all out of the house. We all are doing fine. And she's just nothing but grateful. But I just think about that point where I was like, is this going to be it for me? Am I going to just not talk to my mom anymore? And I was like, I can't do that. She's like my last parent. So I appreciate that you ask that question first. Like, why do you want to have a relationship with your parents? Because I think just like what you said, For a lot of like Asian kids who are raised in a different culture, you know, Mm -hmm. than their parents, it's very clashing and they just kind of resort to, you know what, I just don't want anything to do with my parents. So that question alone, I feel like is just a powerful question to ask yourself because I really think that a lot of us maybe don't take the time to to ask that question or even want to entertain it. Oh, no, absolutely. I mean, a lot of times if we don't have to deal, like I kind of think of it like when we like for you. I would love to know, like, how did your mom react when you told her that you were leaving? Like, <laughs> oh, she did not because I, Catherine, I moved out in the middle of the night during Thanksgiving. Oh, oh wow. Okay. <laughs> like, yeah, it was that bad. Let me tell you. Like, oh, it's wow. a, you know, and I'll just talk about my relationship with my mom in general. Yeah. So from, I guess, after losing my dad till I moved out. I always had a very difficult time talking to my mom because my mom's a very matter-of-fact woman. She's very literal. She's very, mm-hmm. she's literal, therefore she comes off as blunt. Mm-hmm. And yeah. she is not very, at least for me, in comparison to me, I consider myself a highly sensitive person and empath, you know, like emotional well-being is very important to me. But mm-hmm. with my mom, just has a completely different mindset. And in a way, I'm, I'm actually really glad that she was very just like, did you eat today? You know, do you have a roof over your head? <laughs> like very, you know, very basic need types. Yeah. I'm so glad she's like that because I think that if I went through what she went through, like when mm-hmm. she lost my dad, I think I would have just, you know, spiraled into depression and suicidal thoughts, which I actually did anyway, (laughs) but Mm -hmm. I, after losing my dad, but like, I could only imagine that if my mom had the same emotional, you know, capacity that I do, like, Mm -hmm. I I think it would have been a different story of how she turned out. But I, I think because of her, I guess, insensitiveness for lack of term, she was able to get through it and just focus on what needed to be done, which Mm -hmm. was to, you know, provide for the kids and make sure they, you know, like make it out of that move out, not move out of the house, but they just survive. That was my mom's mindset. And it worked out for her. But, you know, I will say that part of how I ended up moving out is because I had these really hard conversations with my mom. Like at the start of my own career of making money, you know, just making money for myself, I had this feeling of guilt that I needed to financially 
like support or help my mom like contribute to the household because of that whole collectivist mindset. Like I remember one day when I started making money for myself, I remember I was about to pay off one of my credit cards when my money in my bank account was missing. Mm. It turned out my mom and I had always had a joint account at this point. Yep. Yep. And I was like, where did my money go? Mm. And I realized she took it to pay the bills Oh wow! without telling me. And I remember talking to her about it. I was like, mom, did you take my money? And she was like, yeah. You know, I didn't say I need it. I was like, why'd you take it? And she's like, mm. to pay for the bills. And of course I couldn't be like, but I needed that, you know, because so that started, you know, that started my confusing relationship with money, you know, always thinking that money wasn't my own, you know, it didn't belong Mm. to me. It was, you know, whatever I made had to go to someone else in a way. And so I really struggled with that for a lot of my 20s. But anyway, there's that. And then also when I did confront my mom, she would always eventually, at least from my perception, it would always seem like she just kind of shut down Mm. or she would sound like a broken record. She'd be like, but this, but this, it'd be like the same exact reasoning, you know, but the mm-hmm. bills. And I remember when she would ask my mom, Jesus, there was a very often my mom would ask questions in general. And I realized they were always rhetorical because mm-hmm. when I would answer, she would either just keep talking or like, she just didn't even realize I answered her. So it was a very like, you know, maybe it's because, <laughs> maybe it's because she, you know, like it's different culturally because she's an immigrant from the Philippines you know, and, and my mom is very, I mean, I'd like to believe she's like very self-aware and I love, you know, my mom, I'm going to share this with my mom afterward when I publish this, but you know, it, it is interesting. Like, I just, I don't know what was going through her head from my perception at that time. I could talk about this because this was, you know, this is like over a decade ago now. So this, this does not reflect my mom, y'all, if you're wondering, does not reflect (laughs) who she is today. But at the time I just felt like she wasn't, really present with me, if Mm. that makes sense. Like it was hard for me to even just like the conversation I'm having with you, just having this open dialogue. I just felt like I didn't get it from her. And so Mm. I always just kind of felt like- Talking to a wall maybe. Yeah. (laughs) I felt like I was talking to a wall. I really did. And so anyway, that's a little bit about like my relationship with my mom and how I had perceived her at that time. But you know, as someone who is an empath and someone that is looking for uh, reciprocation and Mm. someone that could just like rephrase what I said. So I know that you heard me. Like my mom did not do that. So like you said, it really felt like I was talking to a wall. Yeah. It's like they don't, you don't really know if they heard you and they list like, did it actually get through to their head (laughs) or are they choosing not to listen or they've listened, but they just don't know how to communicate back to you in a way that is meaningful to you. Because a lot of times they lack those skills, right? They lack the rephrasing, they lack the the, the ability to kind of emotionally validate you and be able to, to say to you in a way so that you do feel like you're heard. Because I I totally get that. I totally feel the same way as whenever I talk to my parents. I feel like, do they know what I'm saying? Is it like a language barrier or is it... Because then I'll say things in Cantonese and then I'll say it in English and I'll back back to Cantonese in different ways to kind of see if they understand what I'm saying. And it's like, sometimes I just don't get the response that I'm expecting. And then I feel disappointed. But then I'm like, okay, it's fine. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's not fine. It's not fine, but you tell yourself it's fine, right? It's like, it's like, oh, it's okay. Like my mom never cared anymore. My mom never like listened anyway. But I feel like a lot of our efforts as a, you know, children of Asian parents that are emotionally aware or, you know, are raised in an environment where emotional well-being is important and is talked Mm. about quite often. You know, you kind of feel like, at least for me, I always felt like I had to self-soothe. I always had to be like, you know what? Like my mom didn't hear me, but I heard me. 
me. And yeah. that's, <laughs> that's what matters. Yeah. Oh, totally. Like whether, or it's your friends or your sibling or someone close to you that's going to validate you instead of your parents. Like they're not going to be able to do that. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. like even if you force them to, or you ex- just recently I had a conversation with my dad where, oh man, it was like not good. <laughs> so there's this in Canada, there's a Chinese channel called Fairchild TV. Mm-hmm. And one of their reporters reached out to me because they saw my article in HuffPost and they wanted to, to kind of interview me and talk about my journey as a Chinese Canadian growing up in Vancouver. Mm. So I'm like, Fairchild, my parents watch that show every freaking day. So <laughs> you know what? I'm going to tell them because that's actually going to give them like some actual credit that I'm doing something that's meaningful. Yeah. So I tell my, my parents is like, obviously nonchalantly because, you know, you can't really boast in front of my parents because they're like... <laughs> <laughs> You get like, so I mentioned it like, oh yeah, I'm gonna be on Fairchild, and then my dad's like, oh, okay, well, how much, uh, how much money, how much money right. you gonna get, how much you can pay? And I'm like, yeah, oh yes, I hear you. So I like, I said to him, I'm like, this is the classic reason why I had to write a book on how to deal with you guys. Yeah, <laughs> and then he turned around and says like, he basically shuts down a conversation and says like, fine, I won't say anything again. Just blame me for everything. Wow. So, you know, so Catherine, I'm actually, I'm really curious about this because it it sounds like you really make an effort to communicate with your dad. And I applaud you for that because I feel like those types of conversations, you always have to walk away licking your own wounds, you know, and like, you know, self-soothing. So what have you learned for yourself as to why there's kind of that disconnect? Like why can't our parents respond the way that we want them to? Or is there something that we don't understand on our end. Like, how did you sort of, like, what did you figure out for yourself to continue to have conversations and a relationship with your dad? I think what motivates me is becoming a parent myself. Mm -hmm. And because I think my own thing is that the more self-aware I am, the more I know about myself and my past and who I am and what I'm about and what I want in this life of the next 80 plus years of my, my life, I need to understand who I am. And a part of that journey is understanding my parents. And getting to know them really makes me self-reflect on who I am, what my values and beliefs and priorities are, and it it shapes me as a mother to my Mm -hmm. own kids. Obviously, they didn't do everything wrong. There are a lot of things that did right for me (laughs) to create this person. And I want to draw on those lessons as well as correct the things that they did that I don't believe in and struggle Mm -hmm. with currently. Mm-hmm. So like something like that for him to say, like, how much did you get paid? I'm going to take a mental note and say that to myself and say, okay, so when my daughter, you know, grows up and she right. decides to pursue her passion over, you know, making the dollars, I'm not going to say that to her. And I'm not mm-hmm. going to say, oh, great. So you, you're an artist now. You painted. How much did you get paid? Like, <laughs> instead, I'll be like, that's a beautiful piece of art. Like, you know, and, right. and validate her efforts and her passion in pursuing something she wants rather than focusing so much on the money. So that's what really motivates me. Those are, yeah, as you said, there are tough conversations. And sometimes I do have to go back and lick my wounds and self-soothe and tell myself that I'm a good person. And I'm not like, <laughs> like, I'm not an I'm idiot. A, I'm a good daughter. I'm, I'm a good daughter. <laughs> exactly. Like that. I'm a good daughter. And like, like what I said to him didn't like, you know, completely like ruin my relationship with him. And yeah, because I did that time when I was trying to just ream him and say to him that, oh, this is a classic example of why I needed to write this book and you guys yeah. emotionally validate us and yeah. that there are so many things that you talk that you just don't know how to say things to, and like just basically going all out and he was just sitting there like not even looking at me. 
Of and course. This, like, you know, like just kind of like staring at his his like t- tablet thing and just going like, whatever. You're like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and like, and you have to go back. But then there are those conversations I've had with him where you get so much insight into yourself. Like I recently wrote a post about two lessons I learned from my dad. And it was like on a whim. I was like, like eight months pregnant with my son. And I was thinking, I'm going to have a son. And I'm going to have a boy who potentially may become a father. I need to understand my dad a little more. So I, I reached out to him and we went for coffee. And he shared with me two lessons that like, I totally didn't realize were from his own parents, like from my grandparents. Mm-hmm. And then one was about not going so crazy for money. Don't go money hungry and just make enough to live within your means. Mm. And then the second thing that he taught that my grandpa taught him was you know, when you go out there and work for yourself, you know, if you screw up, your parents aren't going to be the ones that save you. You have to save yourself. Mm. And so that's what he had, how he grew up with because he didn't grow up with a lot. And he grew up with seven brothers and sisters. So he struggled a lot, worked wow. really hard because he knew that it's not like his parents have a trust fund for him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. So like, yeah. And so that's kind of ingrained in me. And I'm like, you know, I know that if I screw up, like, I have to, it's on me. And then also like, I'm not going to go crazy aiming for money and just going bought, like guns blazing, trying to get money rather than, you know, just living within your means and being able to be fulfilled and happy. So yeah. like, it's like you get those nuggets too. And then you get conversations like this. So it's like, <laughs> it's, it's like a, good. it's almost like a treasure hunt, you know? Oh, like, yeah. Okay. It's like, I'm not going to like find everything I need. And sometimes I'm going to get hurt along the way and accidentally cut myself with my shovel. But like, you know, it, I find something, I find yeah. something and yeah. that is enough for me. Like I will take that. <laughs> yes, exactly. I know. And then, because then those are things that like, I would love to pass down to my kids and share with them that this is what grandpa taught me and this is what actually came from your great-grandparents too and there's an entire history of like how we came to be and this is shapes who you are you know pieces of who my kids are yeah and that's like really meaningful for me (laughs) yeah absolutely you know I was thinking about how you said that your dad was just like looking at his phone or his ipad or something when he's talking to you (laughs) so my husband he makes fun of me a lot. He describes when, when I don't have emotions on my face, when I'm listening to him, yeah. he calls it my deadpan face. Like, because oh, yeah. my husband's very like expressive, right? He's always looking for someone to like smile back and like nod with enthusiasm. Yeah. And he, you know, he likes a parade, you know, <laughs> like he yeah, loves yeah, it. Yeah. And for me, when I'm listening to people, like my face doesn't always reflect that I'm enthusiastic because I'm listening, you yeah. know? So anyway, one of my newer friends just like brought it to my attention that like the way that he was describing my facial expressions was also the very same way my husband was, my deadpan face. <laughs> and I realized like, you know, because I, ch- I check in with my family every Sundays nowadays, you know, check in with each other during, yeah. you know, during social distancing and stuff, yeah. right? And I realized I get it from my mom. Like my oh mom. Oh my God, really? No my way. Mom shows no emotion when she talks. Like, yes, exactly. Like, yeah, if, if you're watching the video of this, yeah, Catherine <laughs> did it so beautifully. Like just, just this yeah. like emotionless, just matter of fact <laughs> face. And so like, I'm looking at my mom and I'm just like, like my, it's funny because uh, in our videos, my mom, the only time she smiles is when she like takes a candid photo without telling us in our group chat. She just takes it. I know she's about to take it because she's smiling. And I was like, mom, tell us you're about to take a picture, you know? (laughs) 
but no, it's like, I realize I get it from my mom. Like I was like, oh, oh my gosh, wow. I look at her. And, and so I have to explain to people now, like I can explain that to like my husband. I could explain that to my friends or my new friends. Like, Hey, like I get it from my mom. Okay. Like yeah. I can try to be as expressive as I can, but sometimes when I'm really listening intently, I have what they call like a resting bitch face or a dead yeah. man face, you know? Yeah. And that's just what it is. It's nothing personal it is what it is. And so for me, I'm so glad that I have a relationship with my mom today yeah. because that helps me too to realize, oh, okay, I can explain to people like why I just don't always seem like I care all the time. And I've had friends in the past, one of my friends in college, he was like, you know, whenever I see you, it looks like you have like a big F you on your forehead. <laughs> oh my and God. I was like... <laughs> I was like, really? Like, I'm a nice, I'm a really nice person. I, I'd like to believe I'm a really nice person and a friendly yeah. person. But anyway, you know, and you talking about your dad, that's what it, that moment reminded me of is the deadpan face that I have to explain to everyone, yeah. apparently. I've noticed as I've gotten older, like I start to pick out pieces of my parents that I see in myself. Yeah. And it can be kind of scary too. <laughs> like, <laughs> I feel like I'm becoming my parents old. I'm becoming my mom. my mom or I'm becoming my dad. Yeah. It's like, oh man. <laughs> you, you know, Catherine, I feel like for a lot of, you know, individuals of Asian descent or have Asian, like immigrant Asian parents, a lot of us feel like it's a burden to build that bridge or build that gap between our parents. And I just want to say that I applaud you for what you're doing because it sounds like you've taken it as a form of responsibility to learn, to understand mm -hmm. so that, who knows, so that you don't repeat the same thing with your kids I mean, you did mention that, you know, part of why this all started is because you have kids. Yeah. So I'd love for you to share a little bit more about maybe that sense of responsibility that you have to really keep that relationship with your parents. Oh, absolutely. Like, I mean, it really hit home one time when, so my husband's a realtor and mm -hmm. so he does, I mean, not now, but like open houses on the weekend. So that's mm -hmm. when I, me and my kids, we have a lot of quality time. And during that time, we started making a lot of bread just baking in general. And so one time I was saying to my husband, I was like, you know what, I don't, I don't think I'm going to make as much bread anymore, but I'm going to make something else like mm -hmm. muffins or loaves or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then he makes this comment about how like, oh, just don't make so much. And when he made that comment, it actually really emotionally triggered me. And I was like, why am I triggered by what he said? Mm. And so I, And so then I do this kind of like dive into my childhood about my parents and how my mom, she's really creative in the kitchen. Like she loves using various ingredients to, to mm -hmm. cook for us because she wanted her kids to eat, right? And my dad, who's a traditionalist, like his, his taste buds are very like rice and rice and more rice. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was all, our household too. <laughs> yeah, he did not like anything like outside of that. He would often tell her when she would make something funky, mm -hmm. don't make so much. And mm -hmm. so, so then when my husband said those exact same words to me, I got triggered and I start, I wanted to fight with them. I wanted to say like, what do you mean I make so much? I didn't make so much. Like that's, I can just freeze that stuff. Like, why are you accusing me of making too much food? And like, you know, just, yeah, I wanted yeah, yeah, to yeah. get in with him, right? I wanted to get to, to fight, you know, like, you know. Yeah, yeah. Like, you, know, you were so defensive. You, <laughs> you were defensive. <laughs> defensive, yeah, right? Like, for sure. Cause I had all these assumptions of his, what, what the meaning behind his words were. But, but then, so I did that self-reflection piece and I thought about my parents and and then I explained to him that story to him. And he's like, oh, okay. So I get why you would feel triggered by that. Because your dad said yeah. that. And he obviously knows my relationship with my dad and the history mm -hmm. of that. Mm -hmm. And so, so that in itself is like, instead of fighting with him in front of our kids, I took a moment and switched it and changed mm. my history just in that moment. Wow. 
Beautiful. And that's what like every day, like when I'm like, when I have those really tough conversations with my parents, I think of that moment and I think about, okay, we'll push through it. Like they're not going to emotionally validate you or yeah. they're going to say something that annoys you, that ticks you off. Like whether it's a suggestion of how to take care of your kids or, <laughs> you know, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> <laughs> or criticizing you or, you know, you show them good news and they, they'll always look at uh, things half class empty, mm-hmm. or whatever incidences that happen. Like I think of that and change my mindset so that I don't think of it and I don't dwell in that situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's beautiful, Catherine. So when do you know, and I know this is one of the questions that you answer in your book, when do you know when you should just accept your parents and just deal with them anyway? Because I, I mean, I, I think for myself, when I realize, like, just like what you said, like, oh, my, my mom's not going to emotionally validate me. And actually, the beautiful thing now in part of our relationship is that I feel like no matter what I do nowadays, my mom's just like, oh, just do what makes you happy. Like, it's cool. Like, it's real. I'm very fortunate that she's not as critical back then. When I was in college, she was like, let's say I, you know, whatever degree I was in, she's like, oh, well, if you stay longer, you can get a PhD and you could become a teacher. Or like, oh, if you get a bachelor's degree, you can, you can become an <laughs> officer in the military. Like, mm-hmm. anything that led me to a stable job, like my mom was like all for it. But like nowadays, my mom, I, I, I don't know what changed. Maybe it's because I kind of let go of like my sense of approval from her, like wanting mm. her to validate me or I'm sure it was like a number of things, but we're at a place now where like I don't live for her approval, but also like she just seems happy for, <laughs> for my, uh, my siblings and I now, which I, I'm mm-hmm. a very, in a very fortunate place. But I know that not a lot of, you know, Asian kids could necessarily say the same thing. So yeah. how do you like come to that place of acceptance. You're like, yep, my dad's always going to ask me what, yeah. how much that cost, or like, am yeah. I getting paid for that? Or is that a stable <laughs> thing? Like they're going to ask no matter what. So like, how do you get to that point? <laughs> I guess you have to kind of reflect on your why and whether what you currently have with mm-hmm. your, the relationship with your parents is, does that meet your why? You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, yeah. like, cause once you understand so why do I want to improve what my relationship with my parents is, you know, whatever your reasons are, whether it's just to mm-hmm. understand your roots, maybe where you came from, a little bit about your history, or maybe just to understand your culture a little bit, possibly something that you've rejected a lot of your life because you mm. know, growing up as, you know, maybe understanding sure. a little bit about food or traditions or culture. Like if you get to that point where you fulfilled your why and you got a lot, like maybe just talk to your parents about food and you're kind of like, okay, I have an understanding of some of the things I want from them. Mm-hmm. then you can kind of start to accept them for who they are because you fulfilled your reasons for improving the relationship with them. Beautiful. Um, so yeah, so it's really first understanding the why and then you can kind of learn to accept who they are. Because some people's why may just be like, I just like, why do I want to improve? So that I'm not as ticked off every time around them. <laughs> you know, that could be a why too. And so then the next time you see them, like you might be like, you know what? I'm not as ticked off today. Like, baby, I've come to accept them for who they are. Like that, that in itself could be when for them. I think it's really important to know what your why is. And I feel like in a way that's a, a radical act for a lot of Asian kids, because at least culturally for a lot of us, we're taught to think in the collective. You know, we don't think about what we want. We think about what we all want, what the family wants, you know, what the household yeah. wants. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's a very courageous act to ask yourself, what do I want? Yeah. And when you do that, I think that you really take control of like who you want to be, who you want to become, how you perceive yourself. 
But if you don't, I think it makes it so easy to seek out your parents' approval all the time. Oh, yeah. So, so I think once you're grounded, as you explained, it kind of doesn't matter what your parents say after that, no. especially if you're stable on your own and you can pay your own bills. You're like, yeah. you're like you know what? My, my mom was just being the best that she could. Like yeah. that in her, this is my mom's logic. This is her way of living. Like she's all about the coupons. She's all about the sales, the discounts, because that's yeah. how she survived. But like, I don't have to survive that way. And yeah. I don't have to live by my mom's standards. And that Absolutely. is 100% okay that I don't yeah. do that because Absolutely. I'm doing just fine not doing that. <laughs> yeah, I know. And there's also a lot of like the self-limiting beliefs that our parents often imprint in us mm. that prevent us from doing things that we want. Yeah. And it's kind of identifying those that, hey, that voice in my head that's telling me, don't post that, you suck. Actually, no, that's my mom saying that. Or it's my dad saying that I'm not good at this or shouldn't be doing this. And yeah. that's them. I'm going to do my own thing and I'm going to press publish or I'm going to start this podcast. I'm going to write about this. For and sure. it's kind of re- having that empathy piece as well to understanding where they came from, who they are. Because some kids may not even understand how their parents grew up either. Right. right. Like they may right. not even know their entire story of, you know, maybe they came here by boat or escaped as a refugee or like right. you don't, if you don't know that entire story in their context, then it's really hard to empathize with them and right. be able to, when they do criticize you, when they do something, they do say something that upsets you, you can say, oh, right. That's mm-hmm. why they're like this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Catherine, I needed this conversation <laughs> today. Thank you for, <laughs> thank you for validating my life as a, someone of Asian descent yeah. and just reminding, you know, Asian kids to realize that there's a cultural barrier. There's a language barrier. There's a lot of barriers between you and your peers. There's a generational barrier. Mm-hmm. And rather than to see it as a burden to bridge that gap, to see it as a form of responsibility, because you will live your life feeling incomplete, I think, if you don't at least explore that for yourself or understand why your relationship with your parents is what it is. Mm -hmm. So Catherine, for people that want to learn about your book and reach Mm -hmm. out to you, how can they do that? Um, So you can probably go on Amazon, just go how to deal with Asian parents. That's probably (laughs) the best way to get my book. I do have a site as well. So I have my entire blog with like everything and everything talking about motherhood, dating. I have an entire, I've also have two other books as well. So I've got a book on dating and a book on marriage, how to have a happy and healthy marriage. The dating one is a brutally honest perspective about online dating. So if anyone oh who is, That's is exciting. <laughs> I don't know if you can tell from this, my style, I'm very straight up, kind of like your mom, but <laughs> I love it. I love <laughs> it. You know, like just take it or leave it kind of thing. Yeah, so yeah, but it. my site, <laughs> my mom uh, taught my, me well. <laughs> The site is uh, S-U-M, so some on sleeve. So some is in heart, heart in Chinese. So opposite to you, I have like a very animated face. I'm very like, I wear my heart on my sleeve. Mm -hmm. And so it's called someonsleeve.com. And you can do slash books if you want to find some more information on my books. Perfect. And in the recent years, I've definitely been very just intrigued with online dating type material or studies and stuff like that especially now given the time of this pandemic like a lot of dating apps have switched to a video option so rather than just message you can video them and i'm just thinking like oh my gosh they're going to open a whole different can of worms doing video you know like you just it's going to be totally different anyway that's a conversation for another time oh yeah (laughs) Catherine. it's been an absolute pleasure having you on generic conversations thank you so much for your time and to our listeners we hope that 
you know, this conversation gave you a moment of, oh my gosh, I needed this. And with that said, thank you for listening. And we look forward to speaking with you in the next episode. Tune in next Thank you time. so much. Thank you, Catherine, for being on. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for the opportunity to share my story, Jen. Yes, it was a pleasure having you.